0: Section 27 of Waverley, Volume 2. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Waverley, or To 60 Years Since, Volume 2, by Sir Walter Scott. Chapter 62. What's to be done next? It was twilight when they arrived in town, and having shaken off his companions and walked through a good many streets to avoid the possibility of being traced by them, Edward took a hackney coach and drove to Colonel Talbot's house in one of the principal squares at the west end of the town. That gentleman, by the death of relations, had succeeded since his marriage to a large fortune, possessed considerable political interest and lived in what is called great style when waverley knocked at his door he found it at first difficult to procure admittance but at length was shown into an apartment where the colonel was at table lady emily whose very beautiful features were still pallid from indisposition sat opposite to him the instant he heard waverley's voice he started up and embraced him frank stanley my dear boy how you do emily my love this is young stanley the blood started to the lady's cheek as she gave waverley a reception in which the courtesy was mingled with kindness while her trembling hand and faltering voice showed her much she was startled and discomposed dinner was hastily replaced and while waverley was engaged in refreshing himself the colonel proceeded i wonder you have come here frank the doctors tell me the air of london is very bad for your complaints you should not have risked it but i am delighted to see you and so is emily though i fear we must not reckon upon your staying long some particular business brought me up muttered Waverley. i suppose so, but i shan't allow you to stay long spontoon to an elderly military-looking servant out of livery take away these things and answer the bell yourself if i ring don't let any of the other fellows disturb us my nephew and i have business to talk of when the servants had retired in the name of god waverley what has brought you here it may be as much as your life is worth dear mr waverley said lady emily to whom i owe so much more than acknowledgments can ever pay how could you be so rash my father my uncle this paragraph he handed the paper to colonel talbot i wish to heaven these scoundrels were condemned to be squeezed to death in their own presses said talbot i am told there are not less than a dozen of their papers now published in town and no wonder that they are obliged to invent lies to find sale for their journals It is true, however, my dear Edward, that you have lost your father. But, as to this flourish of his unpleasant situation, having grated upon his spirits and hurt his health, the truth is, for, though it is harsh to say so now, yet it will relieve your mind from the idea of weighty responsibility. The truth, then, is that Mr. Richard Waverley, through this whole business, showed great want of sensibility both to your situation and that of your uncle and the last time i saw him he told me with great glee that as i was so good as to take charge of your interests he had thought it best to patch up a separate negotiation for himself and make his peace with government through some channels which former connections left still open to him and my uncle my dear uncle is in no danger whatever it is true looking at the date of the paper there was a foolish report some time ago to the purpose here quoted but it is entirely false sir everard is gone down to waverley honour freed from all uneasiness unless upon your own account but you are in peril yourself Your name is in every proclamation. Warrants are out to apprehend you. How and when did you come here? Edward told his story at length, suppressing his quarrel with Fergus, for, being himself partial to Highlanders, he did not wish to give any advantage to the colonel's national prejudice against them. Are you sure it was your friend Glen's footboy you saw dead in Clifton Moor? quite positive then that little limb of the devil has cheated the gallows for cutthroat was written in his face though turning to lady emily it was a very handsome face too but for you edward i wish you would go down again to cumberland or rather i wish you had never stood from thence for there is an embargo in all of the seaports and a strict search for the adherence of the pretender and the tongue of that confounded woman will wag in her head like the clack of a mill till somehow or other she will detect captain butler to be a feigned personage do you know anything asked waverley of my fellow traveller her husband was my sergeant-major for six years she was a buxom widow with a little money He married her, was steady, and got on by being a good drill. I must send Spontoon to see what she is about. He will find her out among the old regimental connections. Tomorrow you must be indisposed and keep your room from fatigue. Lady Emily is to be your nurse, and Spontoon and I your attendants. You bear the name of a near relation of mine whom none of my present people ever saw except spontoon so there will be no immediate danger so pray fill your headache and your eyes grow heavy as soon as possible that you may be put upon the sick list and emily do you order an apartment for frank stanley with all the attentions which an invalid may require in the morning the colonel visited his guest now said he i have some good news for you your reputation as a gentleman and author is effectually cleared of neglect of duty and accession to the mutiny in Gardiner's regiment i have had a correspondence on this subject with a very zealous friend of yours your scottish parson morton his first letter was addressed to sir everard but i believed the good baronet of the trouble of answering it you must know that your free-booting acquaintance donald of the cave has at length fallen into the hands of the philistines he was driving off the cattle of a certain proprietor called killan something or other killancruit the same now the gentleman being it seems a great farmer and having a special value for his breed of cattle, being moreover rather of a timid disposition, had got a party of soldiers to protect his property. So Donald ran his head unawares into the lion's mouth, and was defeated and made prisoner. Being ordered for execution, his conscience was assailed on the one hand by a Catholic priest, on the other by your friend Morton he repulsed the catholic chiefly on account of the doctrine of extreme function which this economical gentleman considered as an excessive waste of oil so his conversation from a state of impenitence fell to mr morton's share who i dare say acquitted himself excellently though i suppose donald made a queer kind of christian after all he confessed however before a magistrate one major merville who seems to have been a correct friendly sort of person his full intrigued with Houghton, explaining particularly how it was carried on and fully acquainting you of the least accession to it he also mentioned his rescuing you from the hands of the volunteer officer and sending you by orders of the pret chevalier i mean as a prisoner to dawn from whence he understood you were carried prisoner to edinburgh these are particulars which cannot but tell in your favour he hinted that he had been employed to deliver and protect you and rewarded for doing so but he would not confess by whom alleging that though he would not have minded breaking any ordinary oath to satisfy the curiosity of mr morton to whose pious admonitions he owed so much yet in the present case he had been sworn to silence upon the edge of his dirk which it seems constituted in his opinion an inviolable obligation and what became of him oh he was hanged at Stirling after the rebels raised the siege with his lieutenant and four plaids besides he having the advantage of a gallows more lofty than his friends well i have little cause either to regret or rejoice at his death and yet he has done me both good and harm to a very considerable extent his confession at least will serve you materially since it wipes from your character all those suspicions which gave the accusation against you a complexion of nature different from that with which so many unfortunate gentlemen, now or lately in arms against the government, may be justly charged. Their treason, I must give it its name, though you participate in its guilt, is an action arising from mistaken virtue, and therefore cannot be classed as a disgrace, though it doubtless highly criminal. Where the guilty are so numerous, clemency must be extended to far the greater number and i have little doubt of procuring a remission for you providing we can keep you out of the clause of justice till she has selected and gorged upon her victims for in this as in other cases it will be according to the vulgar proverb first come first served besides government are desirous at present to intimidate the english jacobites among whom they can find few examples for punishment this is a vindictive and timid feeling which will soon wear off for all nations the english are least bloodthirsty by nature but it exists at present and you must therefore be kept out of the way in the meantime now entered spontoon with an anxious countenance by his regimental acquaintances he had traced out Madame Nosebag, and found her full of ire, fuss, and fidget, at discovery of an impostor who had travelled from the north with her under the assumed name of Captain Butler of Gardiner's Dragoons. She was going to lodge an information on the subject, to have him sought for as an emissary of the pretender, but Spontoon, an old soldier, while he pretended to approve contrived to make her delay her intention no time however was to be lost the accuracy of this good dame's description might probably lead to the discovery that waverley was the pretended captain butler an identification fraught with danger to edward perhaps to his uncle and even to the colonel talbot which way to direct his course was now therefore the question to scotland said Waverley. to scotland said the colonel with what purpose not to engage again with the rebels i hope no i considered my campaign ended when after all my efforts i could not rejoin them and now by all accounts they are gone to make a winter campaign in the highlands where such adherences as i am would rather be burdensome than useful indeed it seems likely that they would only prolong the war to place the chevalier's person out of danger and then to make some terms for themselves to burden them with my presence would merely add another party with whom they would not give up and could not defend i understand they left almost all their english adherents in garrison at carlisle for that very reason and on a more general view colonel to confess the truth though it may lower me in your opinion i am heartily tired of the trade of war and am as fletcher's humorous lieutenant says even as weary of this fighting fighting pooh what have you seen but a skirmish or two if you saw war on the grand scale sixty or a hundred thousand men in the field on each side i am not at all curious colonel enough says our homely proverb is as good as a feast the plumbed troops and the big war used to enchant me in poetry but the night marches biggles couches under the wintry sky and such accompaniments of the glorious trade are not at all to my taste in practice then for dry blows i had my fill of fighting at clifton where i escaped by a hair's breadth half a dozen times and you i should think he stopped had enough of it at preston you mean to say answered the colonel laughing but tis my vocation Hal. it is not mine though said waverley and having honourably got rid of the sword which i drew only as a volunteer I am quite satisfied with my military experience, and shall be in no hurry to take it up again. I am very glad you are of that mind. But then what would you do in the north? In the first place, there are some seaports on the eastern coast of Scotland, still in the hands of the Chevalier's friends. Should I gain any of them, I can easily embark for the continent. Good. Your second reason? why to speak the very truth there is a person in scotland upon whom i now find my happiness depends more than i was already aware and about whose situation i am very anxious then emily was right and there is a love affair in the case after all and which of these two pretty Scotchwomen whom you insisted upon my admiring is the distinguished fair not miss glenn i hope No. Ah, pass for the other. Simplicity may be improved, but pride and conceit never. Well, I don't discourage you. I think it will please Sir Everard, from what he said when I jested with him about it, only I hope that intolerable Papa, with his brogue and his snuff and his Latin and his insufferable long stories about the Duke of Berwick, will find it necessary hereafter to be an inhabitant of foreign parts but as to the daughter though i think you might find as fitting as a match in england yet if your heart be really set upon this scotch rosebud why the baronet has a great opinion of her father and of his family and he wishes much to see you married and settled both for your own sake and for that of the three present which may, however wise, pass away altogether. But I will bring you his mind fully upon the subject, since you are debarred correspondence for the present, for I think you will not be long in Scotland before me. Indeed, and what can induce you to think of returning to Scotland? No relenting lodgings towards the land of mountains and floods, I am afraid. None on my word. But Emily's health is now, thank God, re-established, and to tell you the truth, I have little hopes of concluding the business which I have at present most at heart, until I can have a personal interview with His Royal Highness, the Commander-in-Chief. For as Fluin says, the Duke doth love me well, and I thank heaven I have deserved some love at his hands. I am now going out for an hour or two, to arrange matters for your departure your liberty extends to the next room lady emily's parlor where you will find her when you are disposed for music reading or conversation we have taken measures to exclude all servants but Sponton, who is as true as steel in about two hours colonel talbot returned and found his young friend conversing with his lady she pleased with his manners and information and he delighted at being restored though but for a moment to the society of his own rank from which he had been for some time excluded and now said the colonel "Hear my arrangements for there is little time to lose this youngster edward waverley ally williams ally captain butler must continue to pass by his fourth ally francis stanley my nephew he shall set out to morrow for the north and the chariot shall take him the first two stages spontoon shall then attend him and they shall ride post as far as huntingdon and the presence of spontoon well known on the road as my servant will check all disposition to inquiry at huntingdon you will meet the real frank stanley he is studying at Cambridge, but a little while ago, doubtful if Emily's health would permit me to go down to the north myself, I procured him a passport for the Secretary of State's office to go in my stead. As he went chiefly to look after you, his journey is now unnecessary. He knows your story. You are dying together at Huntingdon, and perhaps your wise heads may hit upon some plan for removing or diminishing the danger of your father progress northward. And now, taking out a Morocco case, let me put you in funds for the campaign. I am ashamed, my dear Colonel. Nay, said Colonel Talbot. You should command my purse in any event, but this money is your own. Your father, considering the chance of your being attained, left me his trustee for your advantage." so that you are worth above fifteen thousand pounds besides Bearwood lodge a very independent person i promise you there are bills here for two hundred pounds any larger sum you may have or credit abroad as soon as your motions require it the first use which occurred to waverley of his newly acquired wealth was to write to honest farmer jobson requesting his acceptance of a silver tankard on the part of his friend williams who had not forgotten the night of the eighteenth of december last he begged him at the same time carefully to preserve for him his highland garb and accoutrements particularly the arms curious in themselves and to which the friendship of the donors gave additional value Lady Emily undertook to find some suitable token of remembrance likely to flatter the vanity and please the taste of Mrs. Williams, and the colonel, who was a kind of farmer, promised to send the Arleswater patriarch an excellent term of horses for cart and plough. One happy day waverley spent in London, and travelling in the manner projected, he met with Frank Stanley at Huntingdon. The two young men were acquainted in a minute. I can read my uncle's riddle, said Stanley. The cautious old soldier did not care to hint to me that I might hand over to you this passport, which I have no occasion for, but if it should afterwards come out as the rattle pattered trick of a young cantab, selling the tire you are therefore to be francis stanley with this passport this proposal appeared in effect to alleviate a great part of the difficulties which edward must otherwise have encountered at every turn and accordingly he scrupled not to avail himself of it the more especially as he had discarded all political purposes from his present journey and could not be accused of further machinations against the government while travelling under protection of the secretary's passport the day passed merrily away the young student was inquisitive about waverley's campaigns and the manners of the highlands and edward was obliged to satisfy his curiosity by whistling a provoque dancing a strafsy and singing a highland song The next morning Stanley rode a stage northward with his new friend, and parted from him with great reluctance. Upon the remonstrances of Spontoon, who, accustomed to submit to discipline, was rigid in enforcing it. End of chapter 62. Recording by Elaine Webb, Bristol, England.